0: I think there are differences in what a black woman is facing as it pertains to uh, her confidence in her finances and what people perceive about her financial power uh, just simply based on the perceptions the stereotypes that exist.
1: Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen.
2: I am here today on Breaking Money Silence with Lauren Williams. She is someone that I met at the CFP Diversity Summit that I attended recently. Uh, she's a financial planner, author, podcaster, motivational speaker, and volunteer. But what you might know her for is that over a 12-year period, she competed uh, in the Olympics at a very elite level. In two sports, nonetheless, uh, Lauren secured a spot on four Olympic teams, earning one gold and two silver medals. She is also the first American woman to earn medals in both the Summer and Winter Olympic Games. And I just looked it up, Lauren. Was it bobsledding? It was bobsledding. I love bobsledding. So I feel like I might have seen you. Before I saw you. So that's my little celebrity moment with you. Um, I was very (laughs) excited about it. But when I saw you at the CFP Summit, which is Certified Financial Planning for people who don't know, uh, Diversity Summit, you did a keynote uh, presentation that really hit me um, and moved me. And I said, this is a woman that I want to get to know a little bit more. And she would be great to have on our Women, Money, and Power series. So thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited to be here and to talk women, money and power with you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's just dive right in. As I said, I did see your keynote and I, I really was struck by the premise of the keynote, but also how you opened it. And so, you know, to just be very transparent, you know, I'm a white woman of privilege. Uh, it In your keynote, uh, as well as that whole summit really helped me understand my tendency to label people and to make assumptions. And, and I've examined myself a lot over the years, but I think it took me to this next level. And that my assumptions, especially when it comes to race and maybe even athletes, is you know, basing things on very little data. Um, so as a way of introduction to our podcast listeners, can you tell them a little bit uh, about who you are and how you presented this talk? Definitely. So
0: it is really, really awesome that you bring this up, Kathleen, and that we get to have a conversation about it because so often I throw myself in the box and I just fit in. Uh, So you gave me an introduction that really highlighted my Olympic accomplishments. And I'm very proud of each and every one of them, but I'm so much more than the one thing that stands out most when people think of me. And it was, A really big deal for me as part of this diversity summit and part of the speech to kind of put that different perspective out there of not putting people into boxes so if you asked me to introduce myself i would say i'm much more than four-time olympian i'm much more than a black female i am an early bird i love to wake up early that's something that i take much pride in and i can't figure out people who like to stay up late why I, yeah, it just <laughs> doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me. I was that kid that my mom never had to wake up for school. Um, I'm also a law and order fanatic. And I think a lot of people have that in common with me. So I like to find like the commonalities between me and other people. I'm a Great Dane owner and not five minutes into any conversation, I'm going to be bringing up my Great Dane and how awesome my dog is. Yes, I am a fur baby owner and I love him dearly. So, But the other cool things about me is I love to cook and I'm not real big on cleaning up afterwards, but Cooking is something that I'd love to do for each and every person that I bump into. I like to look at the opportunities that exist in food instead of the obstacles, because we usually think of it as like, oh, food is a bad thing. Or, you know, I'm going to indulge and eat this really, you know, yummy thing. And I don't care what it does to my hips later. Like there's so much conversation around food. I like to focus on like creating opportunity and good energy around food and, and preparing it for people. That Olympic part of things is like, Yeah, that is a part of who I am, but there's so much more to me than that.
2: And, and what struck me about your keynote and about this conversation and how you introduced yourself just right now is the fact that so often, especially today, when I think we're trying to have conversations about race and diversity and gender, we get really caught up, even when we're trying not to, into stereotypes or assumptions or, or not looking at all the different layers of people and who they are. And one of the techniques you used on stage that I hope you are continuing to use as, as a keynote speaker or fellow keynote keynote speaker, was having all visual clues. And so there were boxes. And each time she shared something about who she was, that was another layer. It was another box of her personality. How did you come up with that idea? And are you still using it?
0: I am very much still using it. And I've been fortunate to, like I said, have quite a few people that enjoyed that speech actually booked me for other speeches this year. And I plan to use the boxes each and every time that I do it. We're just at the beginning of the new year, but we're getting things going. And I plan to do that speech as much as possible because it was really good for me to reflect on the things that I've experienced as a black female. But also it's been really, really rewarding for me to share those things and for others to come up and say, yeah, you gave me a whole new perspective of things I wasn't thinking about. And that was the point of the speech.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do in this series of Women, Money and Power is just be more transparent about uh, similarities and differences, but also our society's feeling about female financial power. And so I want to start by just finding out in general, what do you think about how society views women and their financial power versus men? Let's just start there. I think that the
0: overall view is still very much that women don't have the power that men do financially. And I would say it's very much the opposite. Um, in fact, there's quite a few statistics that I've been reading about lately that are saying that we are the, the larger consumers. We are the more financially savvy. We, we do have the better savings. And so these things are, you know, perceptions, but they're not actually realities. And female financial power is very real. We're interested in learning more about our personal finances and trying to figure out how to stretch our dollars as far as possible. And security is also something that is very important to women and figuring out how to, to feel secure and what action items we need to take to do so. Um, It's something that's top of mind for us and
2: something that does move us to action. Yes. And and what is interesting to me is, is everything you said is true. But I still feel like the financial industry, the business industry, and certainly I think on an individual level, there is this uncertainty or this not even uncertainty. I guess it's more of discomfort. I'll give you an example. I was doing a presentation and It was to a group of primarily um, male business owners in the financial industry. And there was a slide in the top said, women, money, and power. And when I got the slide deck back, it had to be reviewed by the legal department, which anybody who's not in finance won't know that, but that's what you have to do. And they came back and their only comment was, we want you to remove the words women, money, and power. And I said, wait a second. I said, well, first of all, it's about female breadwinners. So it really is about women, money, and power. And I said, second of all, why is that? And they go, what's making some of us or some of our audience members potentially uncomfortable? So what's your reaction to that? Unbelievable. How <laughs> awful. <laughs> it was awful. and But it inspired me. You know, you never know where you're going to get inspiration. And I've been talking about women and money power ever since. But I know my experience of power and I know what my experience as a white woman is. Now, do you think there's different assumptions about a black woman and her ability or desire or, you know, the attractiveness of a black woman who's taking control of her finances?
0: I definitely think that there are differences that exist culturally and based on experiences and mindset, et cetera. And it, it's been really tough. So one of the things I also shared in my speech was that I'm married to a white man, and one of the things I deal with, I, I was a very good earner as an Olympic athlete, and I've you know gotten to be an okay earner as an entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm working on it, but <laughs> neither here nor there. I am very, very self-conscious about what people think about me uh, because I'm married to a white man. That you know, I'm doing well for myself because I'm married to him. Or once they find out what his profession is, he's a cancer doctor. uh, Oh, she married up. Those sorts of things. So I think there are differences in what a black woman is facing as it pertains to uh, her confidence in her finances and what people perceive about her financial power, uh, just simply based on the perceptions, the stereotypes that exist, like, oh, this couldn't be all you. You couldn't have, you know, you couldn't be this put together on your own. Someone else must be helping you. And then my white husband comes around the corner and they're like, ah, here's the other piece of the story where, you know, I think I'm an awesome, badass woman of color with with or without
2: him. So good for um, you. Good for you. Do you think that I I guess the question I would have is, One of the things you talked about in your um, talk was also the idea of, you know, how you can be judged in your race. So, for instance, you know, there's all degrees of blackness, so to speak. And so do you feel like you're more judged by other white men and women about being married or being in an interracial interracial marriage? Excuse me. Or do you think it's more from people uh, of color that judge you? Or is it both?
0: It's definitely both. I, I would say if I if I gave it a little bit more weight to one versus the other, I would give it a little bit more to people of color giving me flack about it. But it's probably in reality, 50-50, it just hurts a lot more to get it from someone that looks just like you. It's been very, very tough for me to, you know, to feel things from my friends of, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm too articulate or, you know, why are you doing that? I don't have very much rhythm. There's all sorts of different, like, things that black people are supposed to be able to do versus things that white people are supposed to be able to do. And like putting these segments and these, these boxes around us is really, really limiting. And it's hard for me to, you know, love and care for these people that have been a part of my whole life, but then also to hear things that are putting me in a box or saying that I'm not like them because, you know, I choose these things, you know, that are different and or like, you know, such as my white husband. Well, it's Um, not celebrating
2: who you are as a person. And anytime we're not celebrated about all the dimensions of who we are as a person, that can be really hurtful.
0: It's incredibly hurtful. And it's a lot to kind of have to take on and internalize and, you know, put a smile on your face and keep going or to tell yourself that, oh, they didn't really mean it like that or, you know, to brush it off in a room full of, you know, People, uh, because, you know, it happens sometimes in public places where, you know, some joke is made and you just kind of laugh it off and you keep it going. But it was inappropriate. And, you know, you're always having this battle of like, at what point am I always correcting someone who is, you know, not being politically correct versus, you know, this is not my battle to fight. Like, let's just have a good time tonight even though that rubbed me the wrong way. So you're like always on pins and needles or eggshells in trying to figure out like, where do I fit in in this space?
2: Hmm, That sounds so tough. Now, how does your husband approach something like that? How does he deal with it?
0: He also struggles with it. And we've actually had a really good conversation fairly recently. And it was because of the speech that I wrote. You know, we haven't had very many conversations about his feelings versus my feelings and the, and the differences. And one of the things he brought up to me was, you know, I go to a lot of like black events. So, you know, black MBA conference or urban league events and things like that. And, you know, I'm excited to be a part of a community. I'm looking for, you know, people that have similar mindsets and values and interests as me. But he's like, I get left behind and that's a, like a form of segregation. And there's nothing I can do as a white man to, to fit in there or to feel welcome there. I'm not invited to these events. And like you said, as a white man of privilege, no matter how, you know, not racist I am or how much I care about you, there are always going to be assumptions made about me as well. And so this is not just happening to you, that it's also happening to me and it's also hurtful. And I think I had done a lot of like, you know, you don't understand kind of language toward him. And I had to sit down and think about like, gosh, this is, you know, really tough for the, the majority as well. Uh, we, we put a lot of pressure on the white man and the we say male stale and pale in the financial industry. And what about when they do want to help? And so the conversation I'm trying to make and create in 2020 is a conversation where everybody comes to the table because true diversity does include everyone. Um, it's not just bringing more minorities into a situation where the majority is ruling, but it's it's getting every different person, every different kind of person to be a part of the conversation and to really mix that pot together. So we need Uh, the majority to be a part of the conversation as we create diversity.
2: Well, and and I love that you brought that up because I think that the conversation that you and your husband are having is the types of conversations we need to be having more often. And, you know, I think one thing is letting each other off the hook a little bit with always having to be right about it and just kind of taking a risk to have that conversation. But I do have to say, as a wife of 22 years, sometimes it just needs to be about your pain and not his. (laughs) Yes, yes. I completely agree. <laughs> so so I want to move on to something else you said in your talk that really hit me, especially around my work uh, at breaking money silence and helping people speak up financially, not only about just the technical aspects of money, but also about the emotional aspects. And, and you talked in your talk about the distinction between privacy and secrecy. Tell us a little bit about what you mean by those two words and how uh, embracing them helped you break money silence.
0: I say that there is a difference between privacy and secrecy. Secrecy is about, oh, I don't really want to share with you what's going on in my financial life because I'm ashamed. I'm, you know, ignorant. I don't actually know what's going on. There's there's all these different things that I don't feel good about. And so I want to keep them a secret from you. Whereas, you know privacy is going off to the side and you know you're not actually being observed or disturbed so when we're thinking privacy it is i want a private space secrecy is something that has a negative connotation and it, and it is a negative thing because we're trying to conceal some sort of shame or ignorance and we really need to be choosing privacy and saying that okay this is a private matter versus um, saying that we're gonna keep everything a secret. And one of the big things that I'm very passionate about is getting money conversations going. And what we're not very good at in the African-American community is having conversations about money. Everything is a secret. And we're telling you, like, no, you're getting in my business. This is this is a private matter. And it's no, really, I don't know this. I don't understand it. And though I shouldn't be keeping this a secret, um, I have too much shame or too much ignorance to actually feel vulnerable in front of you. So I'm not going to share it. and It's going to continue to cause me to make mistakes. So. I'm really passionate about getting rid of this idea of let's be secret about our money. I want everybody to be talking about everything.
2: Yeah, and I think that transparency is so important. I think it's also, as you said, it's okay sometimes to to require privacy. There's certain things that maybe you don't want to share with people. But I do think with secrecy, it's, it's kind of like that adage, you're as sick as your secrets. And in our society, there's so much money shame that I think comes from not talking openly and honestly about money. So we make all these assumptions about the person next to us and how they know more than we do, or um, we should know more, or we should beat ourselves up if we make a money mistake. So uh, certainly I share that passion. How do you work with people to help them become more open in money conversations? And, you know, is that work any different with somebody who has an African American background versus somebody who doesn't?
0: No, I work with people the same way because, you know, money mindset is something that's on the inside of your brain. So it's always about, you know, from a coaching standpoint, asking the right questions to get somebody thinking about, you know, why, why do I feel this way? And waiting for the answer. Because a lot of times, like you said, when you get to an awkward conversation, we just kind of, oh, they're not answering. They're hesitating. Like, like, let's just move on. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. But to pause and wait for someone to think about what is the answer to why am I holding back in this area? Why don't I feel comfortable talking about this thing? You know, what are some possible solutions to this thing that I feel like I need to be secret about is a really important conversation to have, um, no matter what kind of what race we're, we're dealing with. And so one of the questions that I, I asked people frequently is, you know, to think about like, so you're talking to someone else about money and you have a question. So you, you ask the question and then you, you follow up the question with, I'm asking because I'm trying to learn and learn, you know, learn, grow and get a better understanding of these things. So you've immediately shifted it from them being interrogated to this thing of, can you help me be better by by answering this question sort of thing? I like and that. And then the other part of it is to offer a little bit of transparency. So you need to know something about someone or you want to know something so that you can improve, like you said, your own financial knowledge. But you also need to share something about what you're lacking. So can you tell me about your 401k and how it works? Could put somebody on edge, but you can say like, hey, I don't understand. My employer told me I get 3%. What is that 3% up? And now you've opened it up for it to be a dialogue because you shared something about yourself in addition to having asked that question.
2: Now, I really like the way you frame that. I think that's really helpful, um, not only for your clients, but for anybody listening in today. Now, you clearly are so passionate about uh, opening up, having money conversations. You're also passionate about uh, financial literacy. Where did this passion come from? Like, What fueled you around being so passionate about finance?
0: I was financially illiterate (laughs) as I started my career as a professional athlete. So uh, to go back a little bit of my story, I come from a family of five sisters, two brothers. Uh, There was not a lot of household income. Uh, My father had leukemia, so he was disabled. He was receiving disability. My mom was laid off for a good portion of my childhood. You know, there was just a lot going on. And I mean, I come from a very intelligent set of people, but financial literacy was not a part of that intelligence. So as I was 20 years old, a junior in college, as a finance major, I thought I needed to know more. And that, like I said, once again, is built into that kind of, I have to fight this idea that I, sh- I should be ashamed because I'm a finance major and I don't know this, and then realize, like, hey, there wasn't actually a personal finance class, and none of this stuff taught me about any of this stuff that I'm dealing with right now. How to buy a house, can I move out from living with my college roommate, et cetera. I was doing kind of a basic budget of just checking my credit card bill every month, making sure that there were, there were actual things that I purchased and then paying the bill in full. That was, that was my idea of a budget up to that point. And so I knew that there were gaps in what I knew and what I needed to know. And I had a six figure salary at 20 years old, which nobody else around me had, nor did anyone in my family have. So I knew I couldn't ask them for advice on something that they had never experienced. And I went to get help. Well, I ended up in the hands of a, you know, Investment guy that sells investment products and earns a commission for him that wasn't very focused on literacy He was just focused on how much money I can get into my investment accounts now We know in and of itself investing is not a bad thing But if you don't have literacy as a foundation, you are prone to make tons and tons of mistakes And you don't have a good foundation to build on so my passion comes from my lack of literacy myself But also looking for the right answers because I wanted education. I wanted information And then talking to other people around me and realizing that not only did they not have education or information, but they also had a lot of shame. And that's where I started to discover this privacy versus secrecy thing. And was like, hey, you know, why is everybody so like, why can't we all learn about this together? I don't understand. Like, why is this a thing?
2: Now, do you work with athletes now because you have that background or is that something that you don't necessarily do?
0: Yeah, so my my clientele right now is around thirty percent athletes, thirty percent lawyers, and then forty percent other general young professionals. So I have a pretty good mix. I will say that I thought that I was opening the business specifically to serve athletes and people of color, because I felt like there was such a big gap in the community, and that's not at all what my <laughs> my business looks like. Like I said, thirty percent is not the majority at all, um, and my business is not majority. Um, people of color either. So it has been very interesting for me to learn, you know, they said, get rid of my own biases because we all have them, whether you're a minority or or you're a person of privilege to, to kind of break down some of those walls. I didn't think that a single white man would want to be my client and I have one. Um, so actually I actually have a few, but understanding that financial information is necessary and needed for everyone. And that I want to be able to serve everyone was something that I had to kind of like change my own mindset. uh, Because I was like, I just felt I felt such a big need in the athletic world. And I felt such a big need as a person of color that I thought, like, I need to fill that gap. When instead, the gap that I'm filling is the the gap for people who need access to financial planning who may not necessarily have it. And so my fees are set up a, a lot differently than the traditional financial planner. I charge people based off income, so the less income you make, the less it costs, because I want to make sure that we're keeping the barrier low, that you do need to pay something and you need to value this advice because it is something that is valuable, but that the barriers to entry shouldn't be so high that you have to have a million dollars of assets or 500,000 and all these sorts of things because assets under management and investing is not financial planning. That's one piece of financial planning.
2: Right. And what's interesting about uh, advisors like you and a lot of um, the newer advisors is the idea of accessibility. And it's kind of crazy, even though it's how the industry has worked for so long is, you know, somehow you just have to figure it out to to have a million in investable assets, and then we'll take care of you. And I know you've been developing a variety of resources. In addition to working with you, you know, one-on-one, I know you've developed a new course. So I'd love for you to have a chance to to tell, uh, the audience, a little bit about that new course and and what they can expect from that um, before we end today.
0: Yes, I'm super excited about the course because once again, it's it's my effort to l- uh, lower the barrier to entry for people to get access to financial information. So the way the course works is that it's three different topics. One is money mindset, the other one is budgeting and debt management, and then the third part of the course covers all the other financial topics. So we talk about investing, insurance, taxes, estate planning, all those other topics kind of combine into one and give you like the baseline information that you need. And the idea is that, like you said, it's a lot cheaper than having to work with me one-on-one, but you still get three one-on-one sessions with me. Um, So it gives people access to customized financial advice at a much lower price point so that everybody can be able to have access to information that is good, reliable, and to a financial professional.
2: Awesome. Well, listen, uh, you were nice enough to give us a discount code and we will put that in the notes uh, for our podcast when it's published. I think the discount code is BMS2020, um, but we'll make sure that that's what it is and and post it. So thank you on behalf of our listeners uh, that you're offering that. It sounds like a wonderful course. Uh, Before we end, um, Lauren, I really, you know, first of all, you are a woman uh, who has embraced her financial power, who is making a big difference, not only in terms of the clients that you work with, but also being a really great role model for other women of color and just other women uh, who want to either enter this profession or certainly make their mark in whatever they do. Um, So I would love to get uh, one tip from you that you want to leave our listeners with about embracing financial power. Like what can they do to embrace their financial power? or What have you learned that you want to pass on to them?
0: I would say if I had to sum it up, it would be something I alluded to a little bit earlier. It's focus on the opportunities, not the obstacles. So, so frequently what holds us back from really, embracing that financial power is, oh, this is in my way. And what about this thing here? And you know, we get into our own minds. And before we know it, we've talked ourselves out of something when we in fact are powerful just
2: by believing in ourselves. I've really enjoyed breaking money silence with you, Lauren.
0: Yes. Let's continue to break money silence because As we break it, people are going to become more financially free. So thank you for having me.
2: Yeah. And and so the name of your company again, I want to make sure we put that out there.
0: My company is called
2: Worth Winning and my podcast is Worth Listening. So... (laughs) Awesome. I love that. Well, listen, you take care. And for anybody who's listening in, uh, that is listening to the series on women, money, and power. If you have a particular question, whether it's for Lauren, myself, uh, just in general about the topic, please email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com. We're going to take some of those uh, questions and comments on air over the course of this series. And we really want to have your thoughts as listeners as well. And also, uh, some Subscribe to Breaking Money Silence on your favorite podcast app. So until next time, this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury saying dare to break money silence.
1: Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app